Oh, Jesus, uh, come for us now. Jesus, I pray that you would bless those that are here. And those that hear this message, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, that we would have eyes to see you and ears to hear your words. And Father, as always, I pray that you would get me out of the way. And you would speak through me, or in spite of me, or instead of me. Speak truth to us this morning. That uh, we each might come to know you better. Or know something better about ourselves or the kingdom. So uh, teach us now, we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So you know the Christmas story. In the beginning, um, God created the heavens and the earth. But, Revelations 12, verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So, Satan, the devil, the dragon, started in heaven. As one of the angels, as, as, uh, but war broke out. Um, Michael, the archangel, fought with the demon, dragon, and his angels. And Michael prevailed. He was more powerful. So the dragon and his angels were thrown out of heaven. They lost their place. And that dragon was hurled to the earth, where he is described as the prince of the ruler of the air. And on this earth, he leads the whole world astray. Him and his angels. Thrown to this earth, and their purpose and their intent is to lead the world astray. Normally we call that deception or lying. And Satan is the father of all lies. So in verse 12 of Revelation 12, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, because the dragon, Satan, was thrown out of heaven. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury. Because he knows that his time is short. Now we think because we live here for a lifetime that we have plenty of time. But with the backdrop of eternity, our time on earth is very short. Jesus said it was like a, a mist, a dew in the grass that was gone early. Satan, our enemy, the dragon, knows this. And so he is filled with fury trying to deceive and lead the whole world astray. We know this is true. Because what do we see in this world? <laughs> Think of the evil things that have happened in this world. Right now in the news, in Africa, in the Middle East, there are people that are 
abducting, kidnapping little girls, little boys, killing them, putting them in sex trafficking. Um, we, we've seen the videos on, on the internet of Christians being beheaded. We all know the story of Hitler and all the Jews that were killed. We know Mussolini. We know Stalin. We know uh, Mao Zedong. We know all of these things in history of all of the evil, evil things that have happened in this world. So we see the impact of this dragon who is furious, trying to lead the whole world astray. And he's been pretty effective at it. And we, we know from Genesis chapter 1, he led the whole world astray with Adam and Eve. Right from the beginning, he deceived them and they were lost. Um, they were lost. Their children were lost. All of the fathers, Abraham and all of his sons, lost. All the way down to Jesus' day where mankind was lost. All the way down to me and you. We were lost having been led astray by the dragon, by the devil. And chaos and destruction reigns in this world. And it reigns in our hearts. And we needed to be rescued. The world was under attack. As the, the dragon was thrown to this earth and in his fury he's trying to Steal, kill, and destroy, and bringing death and destruction everywhere he can. And we needed to be rescued. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. Because it is our rescue. God sent his son. So that we would no longer be lost. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. Jesus came to heal our broken hearts and set us free. So that brings us to the Christmas story. The babe in the manger, the cattle are lowing, the shepherds come down and sing. It's a beautiful picture of a baby being born in a manger. The wise men come and bring gifts. We sing songs, we have nativity scenes. All of those things that we portray as the Christmas story. And I'm not saying that those things are not true. But I do believe that most of them have either been romanticized or cleaned up to make them much more romantic and fun than they really are. Um, I had, my wife had four children, delivered them. Um, there were no cattle lowing. It was not a beautiful little scene over in the corner of, oh, poof, there's a baby. Isn't that awesome? You women understand this more than I do, but I have observed. And to think that it's just a nice little peaceful night in the stable, I, I, don't, I don't really think that's probably what it was like. I think it was probably a lot more traumatic than that. Matter of fact, I know it was because of Revelation chapter 12, verse 2. tells us about Mary. She was pregnant and cried out in pain. As she was about to give birth. 
Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. In the quiet little manger scene, the dragon, the devil, was there to, what's the word? Devour her child. That's the silent night, holy night. As Mary cried out in pain, giving birth to her son, the dragon was there to destroy the child. But the child was protected, and the dragon couldn't get the child. So, Revelation 12, verse 17 says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Now I know that I'm mixing two stories together. One is the story of things that we see on earth. And the other is the story of the spiritual world, spiritual world which we live in. Which is every bit as real as the one that we can touch and feel here. Matter of fact, it might be more real because I think it might be eternal. Uh, so we see this, this war raging. And the one who came to rescue us was a baby wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger and the dragon tried to devour him but was unable to so the dragon who was thrown to the earth who is in fury who is trying to lead the whole world astray is now enraged so if you thought there was evil in the world before imagine how it is now that the dragon has turned it up a notch and focused it on those who hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. You, my friends, are under attack. So the dragon was enraged and went off to war. So, you know this part of the story, the wise men, the magi from the east, they came to see Jesus. They followed the star. And they went to Herod and said, Hey, we heard there's a king born. We figured since you're a king, you might know where the king is. And Herod says, Well, no, I don't know anything about this king, but I would love to worship him too. So when you find him, come and tell me where he's at so I can worship him. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. The, the wise men were wise men, and when they found Jesus, they did not go tell Herod. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The dragon was enraged and went out and waged war. And what did that look like? Herod killed all the boys two years and under. Genocide. Jesus comes, silent night, 
away in a manger and all the two-year-old boys and under are killed. And their mothers wept and mourned and they were not comforted because their children were no more. Well, how did Jesus escape? How was he protected from the dragon? Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. When they had gone, this is the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. How was Jesus rescued? An angel appeared to Joseph and said, Take Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God in flesh, Emmanuel, run away and hide the baby Jesus. Do you realize how precarious it was? How close it was that the Savior of the world would have been killed? Oh, that would have never happened. Really? Then why did the angel tell Joseph to run to Egypt and hide? They were at risk. There was danger. And God, the king of the universe, spared his son by appearing to Joseph in a dream and saying, take him to Egypt. What would have happened if Joseph would have said, Boy, that was a crazy dream, and gone back to his regular things? I don't know. So, why is Christmas special? Because it's our rescue. It's when the Savior of the world came. It's the beach. It's Normandy, right? When, when the troops are landing to set the people free. And here comes Jesus, a baby, to set us free. Just like we celebrate and remember D-Day, we celebrate and remember Christmas because it is the rescue of mankind that began at Christmas. God sent his son to be the ransom for us, to rescue us, to set us free, to save us and protect us from the dragon, from the devil, from our enemy. And that's what Christmas means. But the dragon hasn't stopped his assault and he is still filled with fury. Love is opposed. Joy is opposed. Hope is opposed. Peace is opposed. And so what are all the things we say about Christmas? Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Joy to the world. Love your family and friends. I just love Christmas. And why does Christmas get so weird? Because it's all opposed and under attack. The enemy does not want you to love. He does not want you to have joy. He does not want there to be peace in your hearts. So he attacks you and the followers of Jesus and everybody else with fury because he was defeated and he is trying to destroy everything around us. So the rest of this sermon I want to talk to you about Christmas and you. 
And what can you do for Christmas? So that there will be joy in your hearts. So that peace will reign. So that love will flow. So that we can celebrate and honor Jesus. So I have some advice for you and some things I really want you to think about doing. And of course, as always, every time I give advice, of course it's weird. I know that. But don't let the weirdness stop you from thinking about this and considering if it just might be something you should do. So here's where we'll start. What do you feel about Christmas? What do you think about it? So it's a week away. We probably should have been having this talk back in Thanksgiving or October. Maybe 4th of July would have been a good time to start. What do you think? What do you feel about Christmas? It's a stupid holiday. A pagan tradition that the church adopted. They've been selling Christmas stuff since Halloween. I hate it. I, I don't know what do you think. I think, what do you feel, what do you think about Christmas? I think for some of us, I wrote some things down here that I think that I have felt and thought about Christmas. Maybe you'll see yourself in them. One of them, the first one I wrote down was dread. I dread Christmas. Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. Right? Where we celebrate Jesus' birth. Where gifts are given and love is exchanged. And it's just remember the reason for the season and all that stuff. And then there's the way it really is. All about spending money you don't have to give gifts that nobody appreciates, that won't fit, that will get returned. For a meal that will be undercooked or overcooked in a place that will be uncomfortable because your family and friends are there and wish they weren't. You'll be so busy and stressed. You've got holiday parties and work parties and the end of the year deadlines and you don't have any money. And Christmas has to be perfect because you love Jesus. So you're working so hard to make it so perfect And the word that describes me in all of that is dread. I dread Christmas. Oh, it's coming again. Here we go. Um, Another another word of feeling that I've had about Christmas is fear. Christmas is here, the most happiest time of the year. And it's up to me to deliver Christmas cheer to my family and friends. I got to buy the right gifts. I got to buy the right things. I got to do what has to be done and go to the parties and spend the money I don't have. And it's not going to work anyway. Nobody's going to like it. And we're going to act like we're all getting along. But can't we really just love each other? And It's just going to fail. So I don't want to be a part of it. Another word that I use to describe Christmas is joy. Because Jesus has come, because I have a Savior, because I'm going to be with my friends and family, and I am going to give some gifts that are good, and I am going to spend time with family and have a great time. And I have joy over that. And I have hope at Christmas because of the restoration of the world. And that maybe during the Christmas season I'll get to spend a few minutes having a real conversation with family or friends that I love. And maybe at this special time of year, somebody will see Jesus in a new way that they've never seen him. And then at the same time, cynicism. Christmas is the time of the year for golden moments. I want Christmas to be perfect. 
We've had this channel on our house since, I don't know, probably July when they started doing Christmas movies. The never-ending Christmas movie that, that always ends... There's one story I've noticed on the Christmas channel. Somebody's trying to sell Christmas trees and somebody else is coming in to buy the farm and close it down and build a condo and there's not going to be any more Christmas. So we have to save Christmas. And in the movies, Christmas always gets saved. But cynicism creeps in in me because Christmas doesn't always get saved. And I can think back over the years of Christmas and there's been several golden moments that I wouldn't give up for anything. And then there's been all the rest of the stuff that really happened with Christmas. And I want people to love and I want there to be peace and I want the kingdom of heaven to come. Why do I want all that? Because God has given me his heart. And in my heart, he wants the kingdom of heaven, so I want the kingdom of heaven. And we think that the perfect ham or the perfect steak or the perfect turkey or whatever it is you eat for the perfect meal is somehow going to bring the kingdom of heaven in me and satisfy that need in me that I have, and it will not. The best it can be is the partial to point and show me the real thing. But it is not the real thing and will never be the real thing. What it can do is point me to the real thing. So what, we can, what can have happen is cynicism can creep in because we don't get those golden moments like we expect and the kingdom of heaven does not come as we expect it to and the gift I gave didn't fit and it wasn't what they wanted and maybe Uncle Ernie will drink too much at this year's Christmas party again and say all the things that he doesn't say the rest of the year but it just won't measure up. So my question to you How do you feel about Christmas this year? What stirs up in your heart? See, I think it's really important to do this kind of self-assessment to establish where we're at. Because if I go into Christmas and fear and dread and cynicism are the things that are in me, that's going to have a real impact on Christmas. Right? So the first step here is to do some assessment. Where are you at? What are you thinking about Christmas? Is it all up to you? Is it all on you to get done? Will it work? Won't it work? Oh boy, I hate to go to that party again. So the next thing, and and we have jargon around here like every other group of people, and we've adopted this word called agreements that other people use the word agreement and don't mean what we mean. What do we mean by agreement? Well, an agreement is often a very subtle alignment with a particular view or conviction. So an agreement about Christmas is, it's just not going to be any fun. That party, I hate going to that party because it's never fun. They won't like what I give them anyway. They're just going to be there to complain. It won't work out. Joy will never reign at Christmas. Those are agreements that we make about Christmas. Christmas is hard. um, and, And Christmas is hard. But something in our heart hangs on to that thing that Christmas is hard and it's just not going to work out. And that becomes our truth. Now what what's wrong with agreements? Well, agreements are often circumstantially true. Uncle Ernie did get drunk last year and said things he shouldn't have said. So we say, well, Uncle Ernie always gets drunk. 
Well, he did last year, so we cling to the truth that he's going to do it this year. And, and the point about agreements is they're, awful, they're often self-fulfilling prophecies. We go to the party knowing that it's not going to be fun and that the food won't be good. And sure enough, we get there and it's not fun and the food isn't good. Or we know that we're going to have to sit across from Aunt Mabel and talk to her all day and we're going to hear one more story about embroidery. And that won't be fun. And so we go and we sit across the table and Aunt Mabel tells one more story about embroidery and sure enough it wasn't fun. That's the issue with agreements. They often come out just just the way we predict them to come out. Because they become the filter and the lens for how we view the world. So we say things to ourselves like this. I knew that was going to happen. We go into a situation expecting it to happen. Believing that it will happen. We respond in a way before it ever happens. Because we know that's what's going to happen. And then it happens and we say, look, I was right. It happened. So, what kind of agreements do you make about Christmas? I'm focusing this on Christmas. I believe these things I'm talking about are the way that we should live our life all the time. To be aware of of how we feel and think about something. The agreements that we make about it before it ever gets here. Because I'm telling you, that will have very big impact on what you really experience based on what you believe is going to happen going into it. So what agreements have you made about Christmas? So how do you feel? What are you thinking? What are your thoughts about it? What agreements have you made about Christmas that are just not true? Now here's the, here's the third topic and thing that I want to talk to you about Christmas. Many of us have a daily, weekly routine that we're in. It involves prayer. It involves reading the Bible. It involves Bible study. It involves meditation. It involves listening to Jesus. It might involve some exercise. It it involves some disciplines that we put in our lives to give us the best chance to live the life Jesus has called us to do. And then Christmas comes. And we're off work and we're too busy. And we think we get a pass from those things. And we don't need to do them because it's Christmas. And I want to tell you, that will cause more havoc and chaos in your life than anything else. By, because you get to this special point of a season or a vacation or something like that. And you think you get a pass and you don't need to care for your heart and maintain your relationship with Jesus. And I know maybe you're at somebody else's house and your favorite chair and your favorite book and the favorite lamp and your routine is disrupted. I know. This is priority. Do not stop feeding yourself and communing with Jesus to maintain your heart. You need it more than ever during these special times of the year. That's when you need it the most because everything will be crazy and everybody else has their feelings and agreements they've made about Christmas. And now you come into that situation and you can either be tossed to and fro and become victim of all those things as you have done every other year or 
When you go to the Christmas party, when you go to your in-laws or they come to your house or you're at the work Christmas party, instead you can be full of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus because you've been maintaining your relationship with him and you can bring the full glory of the kingdom of heaven into the party with you. Changing everything else for everybody else. You have that power. You want to talk about the important role you have? Are you the thermometer that's reflecting the environment you're in? Or are you the thermostat that is impacting the environment you're in? It's your choice by recognizing and acknowledging how you feel about Christmas. By breaking those agreements you've made about Christmas that are not true. By continually maintaining your heart and filling your soul up. Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So, as part of your routine, Jesus, what agreements have I made about Christmas? I made to break them. What's true? I made to break this agreement that I've made and replace it with the truth of the kingdom. And here's the last thing I want to say about Christmas for today. Let's say that you were going on a mission trip to North Korea. A 30-day mission trip. And while you were in North Korea, you were going to witness about Jesus, find followers of Jesus, make followers of Jesus, that you were going to teach them the things about the kingdom of heaven for 30 days. How would you prepare for that? My guess is, you would pray. And you would say, oh God, I had never been to North Korean before. I've never even witnessed before. And now I'm going to go witness to Koreans where if I get caught, I'm going to go to prison for the rest of my life. I believe you would invite Jesus to that whole mission trip and you wouldn't do anything on your own without his leadership and guidance. And that's what you're going to do during the Christmas season. You're going on a mission where you're going to teach people about Jesus and express the love of, of Jesus, where you're going to show people what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. Look, you're not going to the Christmas party to get a piece of ham. You might get a piece of ham while you're there, but that's not why you're going. You're going there as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're going to the mission field to minister to your friends, your family, your co-workers, whoever it might be. Now don't you think it would be a good idea to consecrate that to Jesus? Does anybody know what that means, consecrate? I went to the Google. It means to make or declare something sacred. It means to dedicate formally to a divine purpose. In the Old Testament, as they were preparing the temple and doing the, the events of the temple, they would consecrate something. They would take a loaf of bread and consecrate it. Setting this bread apart for, uh, to declare that it's sacred and that it is for a divine and holy purpose. And that's... My advice for you about Christmas. Consecrate it.
it's holy. It has a divine purpose. Pray over Christmas. Pray over the things you're going to do this week. Invite Jesus to fill it. Consecrate it. There is good to be had. Joy is opposed. Love is opposed. Peace is opposed. It does not just happen. Make Jesus Lord of your Christmas. Jesus, should we go to Aunt Mabel and Uncle Ernie's this year? Just because you've gone there for the last 37 years doesn't mean you should go there this year. Jesus, is that where you'd have us go? Jesus, what should I give Uncle Ernie for Christmas? What should I give? What should I make? What should I wear? Make Jesus Lord of all. Consecrate Christmas and all the events of Christmas to Jesus. Make it a holy thing. It is a holy thing. So, I thought I'd close this uh, today by praying for that. And that Christmas would be holy. That we would consecrate it. A lot of times when I pray up here publicly, I pray in the first person. I say, I do this and I do that. It's not because I'm just praying about me. I'm, I'm praying so that you can join me in prayer. So you can agree with me and you can pray the same thing I'm praying. Not us and we, but me. I give you Christmas. So when I pray, that's, that's what I mean and why I pray that way. is so that you can join me in praying that. So let's pray. Jesus, I come to you. First, I, I consecrate myself to you. I declare that I am a sacred purpose for a divine and holy thing that you have laid out. It's, it's Christmas, Jesus. It's the time we celebrate your rescue of mankind. And of all the things that we have to do this week and of all the Christmas things coming up, Jesus, I consecrate Christmas to you. I declare and establish that you are Lord of all. That you are the Lord of Christmas. You are the Lord of my Christmas. You are the King, Jesus. Jesus, everything about Christmas I give to you. All the decisions that I make, all of the words that I speak, all of the feelings that I have, I give them all to you, Jesus. You are the King and Lord of all. I surrender my will to your will. And I ask, Jesus, that your will would be done on earth in my life and in my Christmas this year. Jesus, I know I have made agreements that I believe things that are just not true. 
So I ask you, Jesus, to reveal those to me. What is it that I have made agreements about, Jesus? Speak to me and show me. And Jesus, by the power of your name, I renounce those agreements. And I break them. And I stand with you and your word, Jesus, which is true. Jesus, it is your truth that sets me free. Praise be to God for the freedom I have in you, Jesus. Oh, as we go, as I go into these events this week, I ask that you would give me a heart of love for those I come in contact with. That I would love the way that you love, Jesus. That I would truly, really forgive for past offenses and harms that have been done to me. Jesus, the price you paid was sufficient. I don't need more restitution. What you gave is sufficient. Help me to love. Help me to speak words of love. Um, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill every area of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That the spirit of grace and truth would overflow me. That I would speak the truth in love. That grace and mercy would be more important to me than judgment. Jesus, let there be peace on earth. Let there be peace in my heart. Oh, Jesus, I thank you so for this gift that you've given us. I thank you that you invaded this world, that you came to rescue us, and that you have set us free. I know the dragon has been defeated, and he no longer has authority or power over me. So by the power of your name, Jesus, and by the blood on your cross, Satan, leave me now. Take your accusations, your deceptions, your condemnation. I send it all to your feet for judgment, Jesus. And I ask that the spirit of truth would fill me and overflow me. That the spirit of love would remain. That I would be filled with joy and hope of the coming kingdom, Jesus, because of what you've done. Because of your birth and your sacrifice. Jesus, make Christmas special this year. That I would see a glimpse of the kingdom. That I would be reminded of the way things are going to be. That I would be reminded of the way things are because of who I am in you, Jesus. That your love would overflow. I love you, Jesus. I give you all of these things because of that love. In response to your love for me. I cannot wait to see how you glorify yourself through this Christmas season, Jesus. Bring it on. We pray all this in your name. Amen.